Why do we gather in al groups? How do we maintain that singleness of purpose? Welcome to episode 266 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Sharon, Timothy, Simone, and Amelia. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Sharon, Timothy, Simone, and Amelia for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with a seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. I'm going to start with a reading from the book Courage to Change. This is the February 21st reading. Thanks to Al-Anon's traditions, I am able to have a sponsor whose politics are abhorrent to me. Although we totally disagree on other issues, this person has helped me learn valuable lessons about serenity, courage, and wisdom. If I had insisted on a sponsor with political views exactly like my own, I would have missed out on an extraordinarily rich and beneficial relationship. I think that the spirit of the Tenth Tradition has made this possible. It states that the Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues, hence our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. At the group level, this means that I can go to a meeting and know that I won't be recruited for any particular cause. As a group, we have a single purpose, to support one another as we recover from the effects of alcoholism. But on a personal level, this tradition allows me to establish a valuable relationship with a person who, under less supportive conditions, I might have been hard-pressed to treat with civility. It's been hard for me this week not to lose hope and give in to despair about the divisiveness and even hate that seems to be the norm in our society today. And it's brought me to reflect again on how amazing this program of recovery is. We come together in Al-Anon for one purpose, to recover from the effects of someone's drinking or addiction on our own lives. This is the only reason we are here, and somehow we manage to keep the disagreements and debates out of our meetings. How? How does this work? Well, as you might have guessed from the reading I picked, I'm going to talk about some traditions. Al-Anon has 12 traditions that help to guide us in how we conduct our meetings and ourselves in reaching for recovery. And several of these traditions relate to this concept of singleness of purpose. To me, I I see five traditions out of the 12 that really contain this this concept, but you may find others. In effect, there's tradition one, which says personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity, which, yeah, that, that also is in there. I didn't think of that one. Tradition five defines the purpose. Each Al Anon family group has but one purpose to help families of alcoholics. Tradition three says this is our only reason for coming together. It says that relatives of alcoholics, when gathered together for mutual aid, may call themselves an Al Anon family group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. Traditions 6, 8, and 10 set some boundaries on how we express our singleness of purpose. 6 says our Al Anon family groups ought never endorse finance or lend our name to any outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary spiritual aim. Step 8 says, in part, Al-Anon 12th step work should remain forever non-professional. Tradition 10, which was mentioned in the reading, the Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues. So let's look at these, guided, at least in part, by questions from our book, Paths to Recovery, which is subtitled, Al-Anon Steps, Traditions, and Concepts. And it's a study guide, a workbook, I guess, 
because in each chapter, which is each chapter is devoted to a single step or a single tradition or a single concept of service, at the end of each chapter, there's a set of questions which are titled working the step or working the tradition or whatever. Help me to understand better what that tradition or that step means to me. I picked out some questions from the book to, to talk about today. Tradition five, first question under tradition five says, how do I describe our primary purpose? You know, I did this just last night at my Sunday night Al-Anon meeting. When we have a newcomer, we have what we call a first step meeting for the newcomer, where we read the description of step one from our book, How Al-Anon Works, and then generally each person talks about maybe what brought them to Al-Anon and what we found in Al-Anon. In, I guess, hope maybe that the new person might relate to something one or more of us say and discover a purpose for being there for themselves. And so at the beginning of that meeting, when we have a newcomer, somebody at the table says, hey, welcome to Al-Anon. This is what Al-Anon's about. Uh, here's some literature. We give them a newcomer's packet. Uh, this is how we conduct our meeting. We recommend you attend other meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So I was doing that last night, and I said, welcome to Al-Anon. We are here to help each other recover from the effects of someone's alcoholism or addiction on our lives. Although it's not, you know, strictly Al-Anon, so many people come to Al-Anon dealing with an addiction other than alcohol, and alcohol may be involved and they may not recognize it. And if we said, oh, your loved one doesn't have a problem with alcohol, they might go away and not find help and not discover that, in fact, alcohol is also involved in their lives. And so that's what I say. That's how I describe our primary purpose, to help each other to support each other in recovering from the effects of someone else's drinking or drugging on our lives. How do you describe the purpose of Al-Anon? Have, have you ever had to do that? Have you thought about that? Another question, how can I guide newcomers to focus on the alcohol-related aspects of their problems? And again, in my head, I might translate that to how can I guide newcomers to focus on the alcohol or addiction-related aspects of their problems? Because... And I'm sure you've had this experience when somebody new comes to the meeting. They maybe often aren't really sure why they're there. They know they have problems and and they often just start talking about all their problems. You know, we don't exist to help you solve your financial problems, although they may have come from the alcoholic situation. And so the question is, how do I, how do I guide newcomers to focus on the alcohol-related aspects of their problems? And the answer to that is, I I probably don't accept by example. You know, nobody told me this is what you should talk about and what you shouldn't talk about. Because if they had, I might have been discouraged. And I think I was in enough pain I would have kept coming back. But but you don't know. What I try to do is is lead by example. So I will focus on the effects of my loved ones drinking on my life and how Alanon helped me to recover from it. So I try to try to just be be an example. And I'm sure I don't always succeed. I know I don't always succeed, but that's that's my approach. How about you? Somebody comes in and starts talking about, you know, their horrible boss at work and how they hate all their coworkers and they hate their job. How might you respond? The uh, tradition talks about comforting relatives of alcoholics and so the question, what does 
comfort mean to me and how can I extend that to another person? And again, I reflect back to my early days in Al-Anon and, and not so early. A lot of where I found comfort was just in knowing that I was not alone, just in knowing that my problems were not unique to me, just in knowing that I was not the only person in the world that had been faced with this situation. Because when I came here, that's what it felt like. It felt like nobody else had these problems. And it was such a comfort in my very first meeting to learn that I was not alone. And then the next sort of step from there is realizing that I'm not alone and that other people who have had these problems have gotten better, have found comfort. And just in in sharing our mutual experience, there's a lot of comfort there. In talking about the solutions that we found can help to comfort somebody who is feeling hopeless that there is no solution to their problems. So that's that's how I extend comfort is by sharing my own experience, strength and hope, my own, you know, my own feelings of despair and hopelessness when I came in and how the program helped me to recover from those. You know, just showing that there is a there is a path. And here are some small ways in which you might take a few steps along that path, I guess. Tradition three. The relatives of alcoholic, when gathered together for mutual aid, may call themselves an Illinois family group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. Questions that I pulled out from the book, from Tradition 3. Do I welcome all who attend our meeting, even if they are different from me? And the book goes on to list many different ways in which they might be different. One of the things that I both like and am annoyed about this book, Paths to Recovery, is that sometimes the questions feel very repetitious. There are two questions that are worded differently, but really look like they're asking the same thing. And what I found is that sometimes just a slight change in wording can make a complete difference in the way I interpret the question. And so when I think about people who are different from me, I might think about somebody who looks different. I might think about somebody who talks differently. I might think about somebody who has a different religion. And when I think about those different aspects. I can also then start to see how I react when I think about those differences, how I react when I'm confronted with those differences. And, and some, some of them have a, you know, more of an emotional impact on me than others. And so I think, you know, pick up the book and look at all those differences because one or more of those may hit you much more strongly than, than the others. But coming back to the question, do I welcome all who attend our meeting? Well, You know, sometimes that's difficult. Outwardly, I have observed others and have thus learned, you know, sort of appropriate behavior, I guess is the way to put it. I don't know, of being welcoming, of saying, welcome to our meeting. Is this your first time here? Can I answer some questions before the meeting starts? Of listening when they share. But inside, I might be thinking, what is this person doing here? Wow, I I don't know if I can relate to anything they have to say. I don't know if I can say anything that that they might hear. I remember a while ago, a fellow came into one of my meetings, and this is both of the meetings that I attend regularly are in a place where there's an AA meeting simultaneously in a different room, different part of the building. 
And sometimes people wander into the Al-Anon meeting and then realize partway through that they're in the wrong meeting. And I was sure that this guy was in the wrong meeting from the way he looked, the way he acted. He was all jittery, like he was coming down off of something. And I was sure he was in the wrong place. But I said, welcome, have a seat. This is Al-Anon. You know, sometimes that's enough to get the people who are in the wrong place to, oh, oh, I need to be down the hall. No, he he sat down. He sat there twitching, jittering. I was sure he was in the wrong place. And I don't know if it was him or somebody else who said it was their first meeting, but I, I'm pretty sure we did a first step that evening. And when he shared, yeah, he was also in another program, but he was absolutely where he needed to be that night. And I've had that experience more than once of thinking somebody's obviously in the wrong place. Somebody obviously doesn't belong here. And then discovering that, that they do and more discovering that when they open their mouth and share something that they say, something that they share of their, their life, their experience speaks to me that not only do they need to be there, I need for them to be there. And, and I have that experience over and over and it really, you know, helps to reinforce the sort of social idea that, yeah, I need to welcome people. I need to welcome people because they need to be there and I need them to be there. Do I treat each member and potential member with unconditional love? Again, really hard sometimes, but I try to. I try to share openly and honestly to welcome them as well as I can, to listen when they speak. Those are the, the things that I can do in a meeting to show that unconditional love, that that special love, as, as it says in the closing to many meetings, that is read in many meetings, the special love that we all have for you. You know, I'm going to walk up and say, I love you. I don't, uh, I'm not one of those people who says, hey, we're going to love you till you can love yourself. I might say, you loved me until I could love myself. Again, sharing my experience, not telling them, not telling them what to feel, not telling them what to think, but sharing what happened to me and maybe... Maybe they'll take a little bit of that in. Maybe they'll feel a little bit of that. Smiling at people, you know, looking at them and smiling at them. A small thing, but it can be huge. How can my group welcome members of other programs and maintain our al focus? And this one, this one is, is really tough sometimes for me. Because both the meeting that I started at and the meetings that I attend now, as I said, are at the same time and in the same building with AA meetings. And in particular, one of my meetings is the AA meeting opposite us is a men's meeting. So sometimes women come in and then they're not welcome in the men's meeting. And so they come into the Al-Anon meeting. And I just want to say that in my opinion, members of the other programs almost always qualify under tradition three to be members of Al-Anon because they almost always, maybe maybe I could say always, have relatives or friends who are alcoholics as well. So they're welcome. They qualify. They can be there. Where it gets difficult is when they don't keep the focus on why they're in an Al-Anon meeting. I don't have a big problem with people saying, you know, I'm a member of AA, but I need to be here to deal with my relational problems, my problems with the other alcoholics in my life, to, to learn to live with other people. That, that to me, is, is part of their story. 
But when they spend time in an Al-Anon meeting talking about their sobriety, that bothers me. I don't know if, I can't recall if I have ever said to somebody directly after the meeting, you know, this is Al-Anon. If you want to talk about your sobriety, you should be in the other room. I don't know if I've ever done that. I know I felt like doing it. So I welcome them, and then I, I cringe when they don't keep the focus on, on Al-Anon. And, you know, that may be not quite the healthiest way to respond. I'm not sure. Do I leave my other affiliations and interests outside the doors of Al-Anon? This is something that I work really hard on not bringing into the rooms. When I'm talking about how maybe a tradition in Al-Anon has helped me to deal with people in my lives with whom I disagree, I do not, as best I can, I do not specify the particulars of the disagreement. You know, when I say this person whom I love dearly has opinions that I can't stand and I just want to run screaming when they start talking about them, that's what I say. You know, I don't say, and when they start expressing this particular political opinion, I want to run screaming. Because there might be somebody else at the table who closely holds that particular opinion, and I'm going to make them feel unwelcome, maybe. Or I'm going to make them, I'm going to, you know, they're going to say, oh, well, that Spencer guy, I'm not going to listen to him because he's full of shit. The only things that I recall bringing outside interests into a meeting is sort of indirectly when maybe I'm wearing a t-shirt from my church. And, you know, I think about that and I think about, is this appropriate? But, you know, I go to a meeting on Sunday, so I might have worn it to church in the morning and then I haven't changed. I don't know. What do you think? Is that bringing in an outside interest? Is that maybe going to turn some people off? Maybe it is. Is that something I should not do? I don't know. Let me know. What do you think? What do you do? More to the point. What do you do? How can I treat others with tolerance, acceptance, and love? For me, the the key there is to remember how I was received and to try to receive others in that same spirit. And, and I think I've talked about aspects of that already. Tradition 6 talks about not endorsing, financing, or lending our name to any outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary spiritual aim. And so the question is why? Well, part of the answer is right there in the tradition. Um, we're here for a purpose. We're here for a single purpose, which is to help ourselves recover. And if we get distracted from that, if we dilute that by supporting what might be a very good cause as a group, we're diverting ourselves from our aim of recovery for ourselves. This happened in a group I was a member of some years ago now. We had accumulated probably more money in our treasury than we was healthy for the group. Um, and normally when, when the balance in the group treasury gets to a certain point that's more than we need to buy books, to pay our rent, we make donations up the chain. We make donations to the local al district, to the al state, and to the World Service organization so that we can support al in the wider world because that's how al is supported by donations from members and from the groups. And so we had we had some money. And we had a meeting, business meeting, a group conscience to discuss, well, what should we do with this? And one person in the meeting said, well, I think what we should do with this is we should buy AA big books to donate to the jail. And this was coming out of their personal experience. They had a relative who'd been in the jail a few times for alcoholism and drugs. 
And they thought this was a really good idea. And it is a good idea. But it's not a good idea for the Al-Anon group. It does not support the primary purpose of the Al-Anon group. And that suggestion raised a lot of dissension within the group. And we were diverted from why we were there. And when the group said, no, this is not something that we think is appropriate for us to do, that person left, left the group, because we had put ourselves in a place where a problem of money diverted us from our primary spiritual aim. And and I hope that that person continued to find recovery in another group. But it was it was sad to see them go. They were somebody who really contributed, was a member, you know, a solid member of the group. And, and because of this one thing, they left. How do I discourage members without embarrassing them from bringing outside enterprises into our meetings? Well, the, the short answer is I tend not to because I'm, you know, as I say, I'm conflict averse. I don't like to confront people. I remember a different meeting. For a while, the room we were meeting in was too small to hold the whole group. And so, we had sort of a satellite group that met in a in another room. And the stated intent was that the, the larger meeting would focus more on issues relevant to newcomers and that the smaller group could go into the later steps, you know, steps eight, nine sort of place that are not something that might be of interest to newcomers that would, might help newcomers because the stated purpose of that group really is to support newcomers to the program. It's one of the healthiest meetings that I know. It's one of the largest meetings that I know. In that smaller room, a certain group of people tended to meet there, and they got a little bit loose with their traditions. And there was one person who I think was marketing some kind of health drink or something and would bring in samples and set them out for people. And this is cool, like bringing refreshments, but also with the purpose of trying to sell it. And again, that distracts from the purpose of the meeting. It makes people uncomfortable. They're like, I'm in this meeting and this person is giving me this stuff and I feel like I have to buy it, but that's not why I'm here. Ah, I think somebody did speak to the person who was bringing that product and, and the, uh, the practice stopped for whatever reason. Another way that that has happened is when somebody comes in really excited about a particular treatment program, a particular way of treating alcoholism or drug addiction and really wants to promote that inside the meeting again. And, and I think I, I remember one, one time when that happened in a meeting and I think, I think I did speak to the person and say, you know, this is not why we're here. This may be working for you and your loved one. And you can say that it's working for you and your loved one, but don't try to push it on everybody, please. It's not why we're here. It's difficult though. It's difficult. I don't want to offend people. I don't want to get people mad at me. I don't want to get people annoyed at me, you know? So I tend to keep my mouth shut. Maybe that's not the healthiest thing for the meeting. Questions on Tradition 8. Again, Tradition 8 is about Al-Anon 12-step work should remain forever non-professional. That we come together as a group of equals. That some of us may have experience professionally in addiction treatment, in counseling, in therapy but that we leave that outside the door. You know, our single purpose is to recover ourselves and to support each other in recovery, to give comfort, not to try to fix the other people in the room. Because I don't know about you, but one of the symptoms of my, the way in which I've been affected by the disease of alcoholism is I want to fix other people. 
And so I have to be particularly on guard for that. And, you know, I'm not a professional therapist. I'm not a, I'm only have my own experience to share. And maybe that makes it a little easier for me. If somebody came in with a computer programming problem, I, I might, you know, feel like, oh, I know something about that. But, you know, the only thing I know about recovering from alcoholism and supporting my loved ones in recovery from alcoholism and addiction is the experience that I have. And, and I have to be very clear that it is just my experience. And it may be valuable, but it's not advice. It's not therapy. Although I've also said, you know, it's the, the cheapest therapy you can get because, hey, you get a whole hour for like one or two bucks. You can't beat that. <laughs> anyway, questions from Tradition 8. Do I willingly share my experience, strength, and hope with those who are suffering from the family disease of alcoholism? And the answer to that is unabashedly and loudly yes. Why am I here talking to you on a microphone? I'm talking to you on a microphone to share my experience, strength, and hope with those who are suffering from this family disease. So yes. How can I share with others without trying to fix them? Again, I learned this by example. I, I'm so grateful of having found strong, healthy meetings when I was new in the program where people modeled this. They said, this is, this is what I do. This is what works for me. It may or may not work for you. Take what you like and leave the rest. And that's what I do. I try to listen. You know, Al-Anon has been great for practicing listening. I was a horrible listener, and I'm still sometimes not a very good listener, but the discipline that we have in the meeting of speaking only once, the meetings that I go to, speaking only once and being silent while others are talking has really helped me in listening. And when I listen, then maybe I can connect something that somebody's saying to some of my own experience. And again, the meeting last night, just as an example where I think I did this, okay, it was a new person in the meeting. And when they shared, they said, I just don't know how I could stop trying to fix things, how I could stop trying to control. That is my life is controlling and fixing everything around me. I, I don't know how to let go of control. I don't know how to admit I'm powerless. I don't think I can do that. I think that's going to take me years. And I shared a little bit of my own experience. I said, you know, when I first came to this program, I came because I had been trying to fix my loved one's drinking. I had been trying to control my loved one's drinking. And I heard that I didn't cause it. I couldn't control it and I couldn't cure it. And, and I, although I felt this weight come off of me, I didn't know how not to. And one of the first things that I heard in, in these meetings, in the readings, is that slogan, let go and let God. And although I wasn't sure about the let God part, I picked up the let go part of the slogan. I put it on the line of text in my flip phone. This is how long ago it was, where I could put in a line of text. I just put in let go. So every time I opened the phone, every time I looked at the phone, it said let go. Because I needed that reminder over and over and over again. And no, it wasn't easy. It's never easy watching somebody you love seemingly trying to destroy themselves with drinking or drugging. It's just not easy but it was necessary for me. And what I found was that when I did that, then in at least some cases, in at least some circumstances, she reached out for her own recovery. And that was the only way that she found lasting recovery was not through me trying to fix her, but was through feeling her own pain, hitting her own bottom and really wanting it for herself. Um, you know, and I shared that and I don't know if it helped or not, but that was what I could share. And I wasn't trying to fix this person. I wasn't trying to tell them what to do. I was just sharing what worked for me. 
not even what worked for me necessarily, just sharing what my experience was and saying, yeah, you're not alone. It's not easy, but here we are. And we have done it. And maybe you can too. At meetings, do I speak as an expert or as a fellow member? Well, I hope that I don't speak as an expert. The only thing I'm expert in is my own experience. I'm expert in nothing else in an Illinois meeting. I don't even know if I did what was best for me. I did what I did, and this is where I am, and this is what worked. Maybe something else would have worked better. I'm not an expert. And I try really hard to be clear to myself at least, and hopefully it comes across in when I say that I'm not an expert. And Tradition 10, the Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues, hence our name ought not ought never be drawn into public controversy. Questions here. How do I concentrate on our common bonds rather than on our differences? And I said earlier, sometimes that's difficult because I look at somebody and say, that person's so different from me. I hear them speak and I say, wow, that's different. That is grating on me. That bothers me. Experience, I guess, knowing that we're all here for the same thing, knowing that I have heard wisdom from people who were so different from me that I thought I couldn't learn anything from them. And I was wrong. You know, my higher power can speak to me through anybody. As uh, I've heard the expression, God with a skin. You know, the people sitting around a table in a meeting, the people in the program are my God with a skin because that's so often where I hear the will of my higher power, the wisdom of my higher power, the guidance of my higher power. That's how I can concentrate on our common bonds rather than our differences because we are there in the same pain and we are there trying to find the same recovery. If someone does bring up what I think is an outside issue, how can I gently bring discussion back to our Al-Anon approach? Again, not so good at that. I tend to hunker down and just let it go. And I think there, again, I think there are some times when I have spoken to somebody gently after a meeting, but it doesn't happen for me very often. No matter how uncomfortable it makes me, which, eh, you know, I got some work to do, I guess. And the last question that I picked out of these traditions, am I defensive because someone doesn't agree with me? How do I respond? And the answer is yes. I often am defensive inside. I feel like, I feel sometimes almost attacked when somebody doesn't agree with me. And I have to remind myself that, you know, they are who they are and and they don't have to agree with me and they don't have to agree with me for us to recover together. I guess that's it. How do I respond I try not to respond externally. So I don't know if that, you know, took you anywhere. I find it so valuable that we can come together in these meetings from diverse backgrounds, from diverse religious traditions, from diverse political opinions, from diverse experience, and we can share together what we have learned and what we want to learn and our pain and our problems and our joys in recovery, towards recovery, you know, it just, it's amazing to me how well this works. And the, the wisdom of the founders of, of AA and of Al-Anon to bring these traditions so that we can recover, so that we can recover together. It's just amazing. I want to close with the uh, reminder and the quote from the reading that I opened with from February 21st. The reminder says, Today, I can be more tolerant of other views as I learn to take what I like and leave the rest. I don't have to let outside issues distract me from my primary spiritual goal. 
I'll keep the doors open, for I never know where I might find help. And the quote from Al-Anon's 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, Within the fellowship, the one thing that has brought us together must remain our sole concern. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives and recovering what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And like I said at the beginning, it's it's really been a rough week emotionally with all the things that have been happening in the country. And if you're listening to this, you know, next year, next month, you might not remember exactly what was happening this week, but there have been just a series of incidents of people getting killed because they're different, of people making threats, sending bombs in the mail to people they disagree with, of at least, a co- I think, a couple that I know of, somebody walking into a, pl- a church, a place of worship, and starting to shoot because they have some fundamental dislike or disagreement with the people who are in that place of worship. And I just don't understand it. And it makes me wonder if there's anything I can do. Should I just curl up in a corner and hide and cry? But there was, <laughs> there were some bright spots in the week. One of my favorite authors on spiritual matters is Anne Lamott. And I know I've mentioned her in the podcast before. I discovered her, was referred to her, one of her books by a friend in, when I was early in recovery. And I remember taking one of her books, and I don't remember exactly which one it was. It might have been Traveling Mercies. It might have been Plan B with me on a trip, on a business trip. And I was reading it on the airplane. And as I was reading it, she was just speaking to me so deeply that I was crying, sitting on the airplane, reading this book and crying. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, this is maybe not the book that I want to be reading right now, but it was the book that I wanted to be reading. So I have followed her work since then. I know I did, I did an episode and I don't remember which one. I'll try to put a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 266. I did an episode on her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. Because they are, you know, the prayer that I needed when I came in, I didn't know I needed a prayer, but the prayer I needed when I came in that I was really living when I came in is help. I can't do it. I need help. And then, you know, I learned about gratitude. I learned about how an attitude of gratitude can can change my day, my week, my life. And that is the prayer thanks. Thank you for it being a beautiful day. I'm grateful for this beautiful day. I'm grateful that I have food. I'm grateful that I have coffee this morning as I'm recording the podcast. And wow, wow, what an amazing sunset. Wow, those mountains are beautiful. Wow, what that person just said in the meeting. Wow. So anyway, as prologue, Anne Lamont's one of my favorite writers on spiritual matters, and she is in recovery 30 plus years, I think, writes in recovery language that I think still speaks to to everybody. And she's very open about it. And so she came to town. She's on a book tour. She's got a new book called Almost Everything, which I think the idea was she started to write down what she thought her children and grandchildren needed to know, almost everything she thought they might need to know. And, And she turned it into a book. And so she came on book tour and spoke. Local bookstore brought her 
into a church in town, which is a large church, seats several hundred people, I think, and they brought her for two talks in one day, and they sold out almost immediately. I I got to go. It's one of those higher power things. My wife said, oh, I'm going to Anne Lamont on Thursday. I said, Anne Lamont's in town? I didn't know. I'd really like to go. She said, well, I think it's sold out. And I said, yeah, I'm sure it is. And I was like, well, you didn't think to get me a ticket? <laughs> and she said, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. She said, maybe you can take mine. I said, no, no, you've got it. You go. Well, she got sick and decided she couldn't go and gave me her ticket. So there I was Thursday night sitting in this packed sanctuary of this church, listening to Anne Lamott. And I really, I don't think I'd heard her before. I might've heard an interview or something. She speaks like she writes. I love the way she writes. So I love the way she speaks. It's, it's kind of a stream of consciousness, but it all holds together. And she just sprinkles these gems in, in her writing and in her speaking. So that was a real joy to go to that presentation. And part of the ticket to get in was you bought the book. Get a signed copy of the book, and you get to hear her talk about it, uh, read from it, and talk about life in general, life and recovery, and a lot of wisdom, a lot of joy in that room. She's got a really great sense of humor. And so, you know, I started reading the book, and I, and I thought, I want to get this on my phone, in my Kindle app on my phone. When you go and you buy a book from Amazon for the Kindle, almost uh, very frequently there's an offer to add audio to it. And I, and I usually don't, but I went and looked and, and the audio narration, the reading of the book is by her. And I thought, oh man, I can hear this book in her voice. And so I bought both the ebook and, and the audio book. And I have really been enjoying it. I haven't finished it yet. But if you like Anne Lamott or if you've never encountered Anne Lamott, check it out. I think the audio book is like, or the, the Kindle editions, like $11 or something. The, the hardback it's a thin book. It's a couple hours read, I think, is the audio. Well worth it, in my opinion. So that was good. That was that was a plus. Coming up. I talked last week about this topic that Eric suggested of miracles or maybe just coincidences. And I'm asking for your contributions. When have you had a coincidence or a miracle in your life? Maybe you call it a second step experience or a third step experience where you felt like your higher power was speaking to you, was doing something for you that you could not do for yourself. You know, I've said one of the first miracles I encountered in Elanon was that I wasn't angry all the time anymore. Could be something small, could be something big. Share with us. Send an email, call and leave a voicemail. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can call right now. You know, pause the podcast and call if you're thinking about it. 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to leave a memo directly, voice memo directly from your computer. You can go to therecovery.show slash contact and find all the ways to add your voice to our conversation. And if you don't want to use your literal voice, you can send us an email, feedback at therecovery.show. We would love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope, your questions about today's topic of singleness of purpose, maybe some of your answers to those questions or others from past recovery, or our upcoming topic, including coincidences and miracles. We do have a website, therecovery.show. We have notes for each episode at therecovery.show slash number, so therecovery.show slash 266 for this one. We have links to some other podcasts and web recovery websites as well.
I do love to hear from you. Got some some emails and voicemail this week. Sharon says, I can't thank you enough for the service you provide for us who need to hear the message of hope and understanding. I call it a meeting in my car. Hugs. Thanks, Sharon. And yeah, I listen to my recovery podcasts, including this one, in my car, when I'm walking, when I'm exercising. It's a meeting I can take with me anywhere. Timothy says, thanks for keeping my program moving when I don't on my own. Glad to be of service, Timothy. Thank you. Patricia wrote, Hi, Spencer. I've been listening to your show for a couple of weeks. I've started due to my need to get some serenity before I started my workday. I was in one of the other programs for approximately six years, but spent a couple of years in Al-Anon before moving to the USA from Australia. Just recently, I've gone back to looking for a meeting that is available through the day that I can attend on my days off, but have been unable to find one. So far, I haven't had much luck finding one, but the information that I get from your podcast is helping me at home a great deal. When I heard the podcast with Karen B., number 262, the truth of her share resonated with me deeply, and although our ages are very different, the similarity between her situation and mine is very similar. Like her, I still live and am married to my alcoholic partner, and like her, it's the isms of the disease that affect our days more than the alcohol, although the change in behavior once she's been drinking is very difficult. I just wanted to say a really big thank you to you and your speakers for doing this podcast every week. I would also like to thank you for being so comfortable to listen to regarding your religious beliefs. I've had many traumatic experiences with people in organized religion, both in childhood and adult life, and your matter-of-fact comments about sermons in church are a welcome blessing. Again, many thanks for the work you and all other Al-Anon members do every day of every year to make it possible for people like me to find the door once more. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, man, I hope you do find a meeting. You know, there's phone meetings. Um, the Al-Anon website has a list of online and phone meetings. And maybe if you can't get to, or if you can't find a local meeting, maybe one of those would help you. Because I mean, even if there's not a conversation in a meeting, it's still, I feel the presence of the other people who are there. It feels different from, you know, listening to a podcast or reading the literature. So maybe give that a try. Who knows? We've got a voicemail from Colleen calling in to, uh, to let us know what's up. Hi, Spencer and company. This is Colleen in Tennessee. I've been playing catch up on some of the podcasts. I've missed out on, on some of these postings, trying to catch up on other podcasts. I'm sure that you can appreciate how that goes. So it's been lovely to enter the thoughtful space that's here at the recovery show once again. I've been doing my own work and going to my meetings and finally found myself a sponsor now that I've been doing this thing for about 18 months, and that's been wonderful. I've enjoyed listening to Mary Pearl, as always. she uh, I appreciate her humor and her humanity, so thank you for sharing those with us. And I just listened to your September meditation today and uh, some thoughtful mindful Spencer of you and and what you and your family uh, are going through, but I really appreciated your sharing about when your mother's back started to experience the curvature and your recognition of your own limitations. You can't make her really take steps to correct that. She's in charge of that for herself. And my, my son, who's only 10, seems to be really struggling with some anxiety this year in school, which just breaks my heart. 
but I also recognize that he has steps that he can do too to help manage his anxiety. And as much as I want to step in and do a lot of those things for him, I recognize that part of my job is to equip and empower him to take some of these responsible responsibilities as he is capable of on his own. And so like today, I recommended that he see his guidance counselor, talk to his teacher, help him set up an appointment to see a guidance counselor and what kinds of things can you talk to her about. Um, And then I asked, do you want me to talk, contact your teacher or the guidance counselor for you? He said no. And so all day I've been fighting doing that, (laughs) just making sure, you know, that that happens for him. But, um, But I listened to that meditation today or that podcast today, you know, and I have to trust him and his ability to do these things for himself. It's not going to help him if I do it for him. Anyway, thank you so much for this space. Glad to be here. Glad you're here. Thanks. Thank you, Colleen, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. Carol writes, Spencer, thank you so much for your show. I've been listening for a little over a year. This show in particular really touched me. She's writing about the show I did on dementia and practicing these principles in all our affairs. Uh, Number 265 at therecovery.show slash 265. This show in particular really touched me. I'm currently sitting with my 99-year-old mom who is in hospice. They've given her just a few days. She has had dementia for the last seven years. When she was diagnosed, it was at the severe level, so I'm sure she had it before we realized it. There were so many behaviors that I tried to help her with. She was an alcoholic, and as the years went by, I became her counselor and emotional support. It's taken years to learn how to love her, yet still care for myself and my family. Last year, I read a fabulous book called Choosing to Forgive by Diane DeLong Clark. I was able to forgive my mom and realize that I didn't cause it, couldn't cure it, and couldn't control it. What peace I had in forgiving her. I just did it. She didn't have to earn it. Then, with your show, I've learned to take care of myself. Even in this moment of sitting with her as she passes away, I have peace. Yes, dementia fits right in with Al-Anon issues. It makes us try to control things out of our control. I'm so thankful for you and your efforts made to share your recovery. Listening to your show has made me stronger and be more determined to recover from my marriage and for being a parent. Thank you for your transparency, strength, and hope you make a difference. And and thank you, Carol, for sharing that. And I'm grateful to know that when I, uh, as it were, go off topic, that it still touches somebody. Thank you. Dear Recovery Fam, it's me, Carlos, again, and I thank you, Spencer, for reading my email last podcast. It truly helped me, and it made it so much personal. You gave me so much serenity when you replied to me directly during the podcast. Well, another relapse by my wife happened. This time, it turned ugly, and I had to call the cops. She somehow made it to my next-door neighbor's home, who was a dad figure and recovering alcoholic. He was not home, and his wife attempted to help me walk my wife back home. This is where it turned ugly. She was so intoxicated that I whipped out my phone and started recording her. Doing so made her so livid she attacked me while I was holding our almost two-year-old daughter while our five-year-old son witnessed all of it. My neighbor tried to calm her down and keep her away from me. I just had enough and chose to call the police. They came, and now she's in jail. 
CPS, uh, Child Protective Services, did come, and they interviewed me and my older kids and were pleased how much I've shielded them and still remained innocent. Everyone, including CPS personnel, says I did the right thing, due to her becoming dangerous and having no regard toward the welfare of our two children. Granted, she wasn't all there and completely intoxicated. It hurts me, and I feel like the worst husband in the world. I was wondering if anyone had any experience with something like this. She was in probation for nine months due to her DUI she had gotten about five months ago. This incident might keep her locked up for a while longer. I love her so much, and this hurts. Thanks again for listening, Carlos. I have I have been blessed to not have that experience. My wife was generally not violent or angry when she was intoxicated. But I know there's somebody listening who has been where you are, and if you're that person, maybe you can share with Carlos how you dealt, how you felt. Yeah, thanks for writing, and I'm sorry it happened. I hope that good comes of it, and, you know, honor you for being a good father to your children, really, and for recognizing when, you know, when a boundary had been crossed, that you really had to do something different. But yeah, not easy. Not what you want to do, I'm sure. Michelle writes, hi, Spencer. My name is Michelle, and I'm a first-time listener and already hooked. What great messages and help with recovery. I have for years read, given away, and bought more of Melo D. Beattie's Language of Letting Go. These books have saved me many times. It wasn't until recently that I realized how my codependency was holding me back, and your show is going to be a part of my daily and weekly routine for many years to come. Thank you. And again, Michelle, thank you for writing. Thanks for letting us know that we help. And I'm going to say the same thing that I say a lot of the time. I really strongly encourage you to find a meeting in your area that you can connect with, that you can relate directly with and hear the experience, strength, and hope of others who have been and are walking the journey that you're on. Thanks again. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Sharon, Timothy, Simone, and Amelia did. Thank you again, Sharon, Timothy, Simone, and Amelia, for your support. It's how we keep going. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, and that is actually one of the best things that you can do. Share it with your friends. Simply direct them to therecovery.show or just listening. We're here for you. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.